Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Yeah, your Bible's open to Ephesians chapter 4. You can click on your smart device or app. If you're watching us online, we want to welcome you to Restoration Life. Or if you're listening to us on Spotify, we're honored that you've logged in to listen to today's message. Uh, this is part two of last week's message on It's Not That Complicated and talking about communication. And so we just, we just know that God, we serve a God that loves to restore families, that loves to restore marriages, that loves to restore relationships. And we have the saying of Restoration Life that no relationship is so far God that God can't restore. We believe that wholeheartedly. And you might say, well, you know what, I feel like our marriage is dead. Trust me when I say God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. Come on. Come on. He's into revival. And uh, we've seen God do a lot of miracles in, in families, in relationships, in marriages. And uh, we just hope that you'd be open to hear God's word and his instruction. And um, just, just learn today on how to make um, your communication a whole lot better. Because a lot of things live and die on good or bad communication. And uh, uh, we have to realize it today that, uh, that our words play a key role in every conflict that um, we're engaged in. And so when words are used properly, words promote understanding and they encourage agreement. When misused, they usually aggravate the offense and drive people farther and farther away. So today... With God's help, through God's word, and God's presence, I believe that we can all, every single one of us, improve in our ability to communicate the, the truth in, in, in a spirit of love. Paul writes to the, to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 15. Uh, he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, we are to grow up, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head um, into Christ. And so what is he saying? He's saying the lot, a lot of the way that you communicate needs to mature. How you communicate needs to grow up. Because a lot of us still communicate like we're in high school. And we say things and do things in the midst of disagreement that are detrimental to a, a godly um, covenant relationship with one another. And I, I just want to let you know, if you guys just pray for Roxanne. She's dealing with um, vertigo right now. And uh, so she won't be here to really bring all the wisdom uh, that from a woman's perspective that um, she should. So I'm going to. I'm going to bring it out for her and talk about me in a way that I believe that she would talk about me. Uh, but keep her in your prayer. She's dealing with that right now. And just pray for God to speak to us. Can we just all close our eyes and bow our heads? We're just going to pray over this time together. Just remove distraction. Remove um, anything that the enemy would try to hinder in your listening ability today. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, we know that you're in this place right now because two or three and even more so are gathered in your name. Father, help us to understand what your word has to say. Help us to apply it to our life and use it um, in every relationship 
that we have because we understand that it's not supposed to be that complicated. But we overcomplicate it as human beings when we allow our flesh to get in front of our spirit. And so, Father, we pray, help us to hear with the ears that you want us to hear with today. And God, in all these things, we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to continue on It's Not That Complicated. And we're going to talk about some of the tools that we should have in our toolbox in order to communicate properly. I don't know about you, um, but I didn't grow up with really great communication. Um, the communication that I saw wasn't on the kind of communication that I wanted to use in my marriage and in my friendships, you know. Um, and so uh, I didn't learn how to communicate on this level until I found myself being discipled by my pastor and really studying out what the Bible has to say about communication. And I just, I, I'm just one of those guys that believe that if we just take God's truth and apply it to every area of our life, um, everything is going to work out for the good. Everything is going to, it might not feel good in that moment, but it's going to work out for the good. And when we think about something working out for the good, we're going to talk about agreement and disagreement. We're going to talk about arguments. We're going to talk about what seems to happen in every friendship. At some point, every friendship experiences the tension of an argument or disagreement or looking at two things differently. And a lot of times we experience this in the context of marriage and, and parenting and, and um, you know, uh, communicating with our parents, communicating with our children, uh, and even grandparenting. Uh, even It goes as far as the way that we communicate on team in ministry as we serve God together. But today I want to look at a couple things that I hope would help all of us walk out of this place a lot wiser and what God has to say about the way that we communicate with one another. And then just, not just be a hearer of God's word, but be a doer of God's word. And so the first thing that I want to talk to you about today is confrontation. Is that okay? Because at some point, you're going to confront someone with a wrong that they did, a wrong that they said, something that you must have interpreted a certain way, and you're going to confront it. But the first thing that I want to look at when it comes to confrontation is that we should confront constructively and not combatively. If we're going to go into confrontation now, let me just say this. I don't mind confrontation the way some people mind confrontation. And a lot of people, how many of you would say, I don't like confrontation? Raise your hand. I, I, I just don't like, come on, raise it high. I need to be able to see it. I don't like confrontation. I don't like being confronted. And I don't like confronting anybody. Raise your hand. Roll, 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 roll high. Okay, put your hands down. How about those of you that, I don't mind confronting people. Raise your hand. Just quickly, just raise your hand. Okay. So it's almost a 50-50 split. You have people that don't mind being confrontational, and you have people that don't like being confrontational. I just want to just kind of pull out some, some truths that I've learned out of God's word and out of living with my beautiful wife for the last almost 30 years now and um, talking about how to confront constructively and not combatively. And to do so, we're going to let God teach us, and so we're going to let the word of God preach today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul says to the church, he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So Paul is talking to a church that's living in a culture and in a time um, where human beings are enslaved and women are looked upon, looked, looked at more like, um, like property 
more than anything else. And Paul's trying to teach them some things about communication that we find in the scripture. And he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what it's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so there's nothing wrong with confrontation as long as it's constructive and not destructive, as long as it's constructive and not combative, because Paul is clearly communicating that he forbids us from using communication in a destructive way, that he forbids us to use communication in a combative way. Instead, our words, the words that we use, the words that we speak should always be used to build up others, to build up one another in love, in Christ Jesus. And a great way to avoid abusive communication is to ask yourself, is what I'm about to say going to build them up or is it going to tear them down? Is it going to restore them and heal them and encourage them? Or is it going to belittle them? Are they going to feel attacked? Are they going to feel assaulted? Is it going to destroy their value and maybe even our relationship? And here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is that we're in the heat of a disagreement. Usually, none of us will stop to think before we speak. And that usually ends up being a massive reason why so many of us get into so much trouble when it comes to communication. Proverbs 12, 18 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Another, another way to avoid worthless talk, if, if I could just say this this morning, is to get into the habit of talking to people whom you have a problem with rather than talking about them to other people. Like, I have a problem, and if I could just vent for a moment. Like, I have a problem if you're in disagreement with anything that I said, but you won't come to me with your disagreement. You'll go to somebody else with that disagreement. I have a serious problem with people that say things behind my back and too cowardly to say it in front of my face. I have a serious problem with anyone that would say anything behind anyone's back that they're not willing to confront them lovingly in in order to resolve the situation or issue. I have zero problem confronting people on anything. Like zero. I don't mind it. I don't have a problem with it. In fact, I look forward to it. <laughs> Let me tell you why, though. I believe that the motivation of confrontation always has to be restoration. So I have zero problem confronting anyone because my motive is never to, is, my motive is never I'm going to prove you wrong. My motive is never I'm going to make you look stupid. My motive is never like I'm better than you are. My motive is always restoration. That's my motive in confrontation all the time. I have no problem whatsoever bringing something to someone's attention that I disagree with, but I'm going to bring it to their attention. And if there's a group of people that are doing it, and there's a group of people that are saying it, then I'm going to go to every single one of them and say it to their face. I don't have a problem with it because my motivation for my confrontation is restoration. 
Now, if my motivation from my confrontation was destruction, then more likely I'll have a problem with it. Because I don't want to do that. That's not the reason why I want to confront anybody. If I'm going to bring something out into the light, because how many know God doesn't allow anything to stay secret? He always brings it out to the light. My motivation for confrontation is restoration. And I wish that we would stop and think and pray about that more than just jump into just, oh, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Or I'm going to give them a piece of, 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 of whatever. You know, how about you give them a piece of your heart? And let them hear your heart by confronting them so that there could be restoration and rest in, in the relationship. And so I, I, would, I would encourage anyone in this room um, to not talk about someone. Talk to that someone. That's a good place for you guys to say, man. James 1.26 says, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. you got to learn how to control... You know, the, the, the person that we got to learn how to keep in check is not the other person, it's ourself. We got to learn how to keep ourself in check. We got to learn how to keep our language in check, our, our, our tongue in check. Um, but it continues on to say, and I love this portion of scripture, Proverbs 18, 21, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. So if you're constantly encouraging, if you're constantly bringing unity instead of discord or division, then the fruit of that you're going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy the good fruit of bringing encouragement, the good fruit of, of speaking life over somebody, the good fruit of, of confronting something that's hurtful but with the sake of restoration or the motivation of restoration in the midst of that. And you're going to eat the fruit of that. But if, you're, if your motive is, is the flesh, if your motive is, is to be right, if your motive is pride, you're going to eat the fruit of that as well. Luke 6, 27 and 28, Jesus said, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. What is he talking about? He's talking about people that intentionally hurt you. People that intentionally have hurt him. I love what God does on the cross when Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Now, these are the same people that he's praying for, the same, probably the same centurions that nailed his hands and his feet to the cross, the same centurion that is about to pierce him through his side, the same Romans that whipped him with the cat of nine tails and pressed down the crown of thorns on his head and spit in his face and, and hit him and punched him and said, prophesy, who hit you, who made a mockery over him. These are the people that Jesus himself is saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And isn't that maybe a really good tool to put in our toolbox, you know, when we, when we feel like others are hurting us intentionally or unintentionally, that maybe our prayer should be, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And even if they did, I still forgive them because you forgave me. Come on. None of these things, none of these principles... Um, Forbid confrontation, but they do require that confrontation be constructive rather than hurtful. Colossians 4 and 6, Paul writes to the church there. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. Grace and salt. 
right? The motivation of confrontation must always be restoration. When we confront each other in love, God is glorified, the enemy is defeated, and your relationship thrives. When we confront someone in the flesh, what we do is we make room for Satan to come in and grab a foothold and to have his way in our relationships. What does this look like? In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 8, when it talks about how our conversation must be seasoned, it talks about love. And what does Paul say about love? Well, he writes to the church in Corinth, and he says this about love. So when you think about confrontation, when you think about communication, when you think about coming into disagreement with somebody that you care about, and he's saying, hey, man, you got to love them. you got to season this with salt. What is he saying? Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8. He says, love is patient. You can do a whole series just on that one statement. I know a lot of you have had to learn how to be patient with me. I know that. And I thank God that you have. But make no mistake, I've had to learn how to be patient with many of you as well. You're what I would call an EGR. Extra grace required. We have to learn how to be patient with one another in love. Because if we're just being honest, we're not going to agree on everything. We can agree to disagree on a whole lot of stuff. But I won't be the one that allows disagreement to cause division. Because division doesn't come from heaven. In fact, God says, I hate those that sow discord. I hate those that sow discord. That's caused division amongst the brethren. And so... I love that Paul writes this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not proud, it is not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. Here's my favorite, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the way that we're supposed to treat not just those that are, are in our immediate family, but it's the way that we're supposed to treat everyone, period. Period. Believer or unbeliever, doesn't matter. We're supposed to treat them that way. God calls us, greatest command of all, to love God and to love others. Others doesn't always simply include those people that you like to hang with. Those people that you love going to church with. Those people that you're on team with. Those that you're, you're in holy covenant with. Those that you've birthed. Those that, that are your parents. Those are the people, are the whosoevers of this world. We're not only supposed to love those that love us. In fact, the Bible teaches us what kind of reward do you get for loving those that love you back. But love the loveless, love the unlovable, love the people that nobody else loves. In fact, Roxanne, in, in, our, in our prayer when we first started the church, you know, almost 18 years ago, is God sent us the ones that nobody else wants. And we'll love them. We'll love them. So welcome home, everybody. <laughs> welcome home. I'm included in that. I'm included in that, okay? 
most times, other people would treat you the way that you treat them. If you're aggressive and overbearing, they'll be over aggressive and overbearing. But don't be surprised when you treat people with love and patience and kindness and gentleness that they might just end up responding in the same way. But the best way to test your words is simply to ask yourself, is what I'm about to say likely to please and honor God or please and honor the devil? Because if we just took the time just to stop and think before we speak, we might find ourselves getting ready to say something that's going cost to cost us a whole lot of heartache. And so be careful with your words because once they're said, they can only be forgiven, but they may never be forgotten. Let me say that again. Be careful with what you say and how you say it. Because yeah... You may be forgiven for what you said, but they probably will never, ever forget what you said. And it's important for us to understand that when we speak words, we're speaking life or death over each other. Right? Let me just say this to some of the ladies. When you go home and you get into it with your spouse, and then you go to work or you get around your girlfriends and you start talking trash about your husband, you're speaking death over your husband. You're speaking death, not life. Over your husband. I would encourage you that if, you, if you're bent with something your spouse said, your husband said, I would say to make sure that you go to the right people to get the right counsel. Because the wrong counsel can ruin your marriage. The wrong counsel can separate what God has brought together. And Jesus said, let no man separate what God has brought together. A lot of people don't think that their friendships are important. But listen to what Mark chapter 2, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you know, Jesus has these, these people who are friends to this crippled, this person has been crippled their whole life, been crippled their whole life. And these four friends, four or five friends, grab this crippled person and hear about Jesus, and they take him to Jesus. But when they get to the house, the house is packed out with people. And so what do these friends do? They bust a hole in the roof of this house and they lower their friend in front of Jesus. Don't tell me that your friends don't matter when it comes to kingdom issues. Don't tell me that it's not important to have the right friends around you because the right friend around you may drag you in your crippled state to be in front of the master so that you can experience your healing. And the Bible doesn't say that, that Jesus healed them because of the crippled man's faith. The Bible says that Jesus healed them because of his friend's faith. And you need to get the right people around your marriage, around your friendships, that will drag you into the presence of God when you're not in a good place. Be careful who you hang with because the people that you hang with can either encourage a great kingdom marriage or discourage a great kingdom marriage. Mother Teresa said kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. Proverbs 15.1 says a gentle answer, it turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So confront constructively, not combatively. If you can't do that, then maybe it's not a good time for you to confront the situation. I've, 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 been, I've had things brought to my attention where my blood is boiling. 
And like, I want to confront it right now, but like Roxanne and all her wisdom, she's like, babe, brief. <laughs> I'm like, I can't brief. I can't brief right now. She's like, no, you need to breathe. You need to think about it. You need to walk away. You need to process it. You need to take this before God. And then you can have that conversation and not until then. So it's a good thing to listen to the wisdom of another godly person to help you confront something constructively and not combatively. Because if you can't confront it constructively, then maybe you shouldn't confront it in that moment. I would say come back to it. Don't, don't brush it under the carpet because that's not going to help you later in life. But to confront it at a time when everybody's in a good place, when they're on the hilltop of revival, right? And go, hey, can we just talk about some of this stuff? Because I don't think this is healthy for our future and our relationship. Roxanne would tell you, um, if she were here, that um, we've had to confront a lot of things in our marriage and confront a lot of things with our parenting and confront a lot of situations with our finances and just our spiritual walk with God that are not easy conversations to have. They're not easy conversations to have. But they're constructive in the sense that we're going to grow from this conversation. We're going to come out of this together as a unified um, marriage. And the enemy is going to be defeated and God's going to get all the glory. But we got to do it and we got to discern the right time to be able to do this. So again, first confront constructively, not combatively. Because the motivation for confrontation is restoration. If that's not your motive, then maybe you should keep your mouth shut. Maybe you, should, maybe you should just zip it. Zippity-doo-dah. You just zip it away, right? Sometimes, sometimes you need to ask yourself, is my, are the words that I am about to speak going to be more fruitful than the silence that I can keep? I don't even remember what I just said. Hopefully you guys wrote it down. Ask yourself that question. Is my word or the thing that I'm about to say, is it going to carry more fruitfulness than just me just keeping my mouth shut? You got to ask yourself. Because sometimes the best thing that you can do is to not say anything. This is okay. Because sometimes, sometimes you want to say a whole lot and, and what you say doesn't make any sense. Like, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Nobody <laughs> understands the words that are coming out of <laughs> Sometimes staying quiet is a lot more godly than saying something. Because you can get yourself into a lot of trouble by saying something that you say you didn't mean. Well, let me just, let me just say this. If you're ever in the heat of an argument and you say something and then later on you try to take it back, it's too late, right? You may be forgiven for it, but they're not going to forget. And, and, and when you say, I didn't mean that, you sound like an idiot. You said it because you meant it. Because out of, the, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you might be upset, and you may be aggravated, and you may be mad. Is this helping anybody? You may be frustrated, and, and you may be disappointed, but you said what you meant. That's the reason why you said it. Now, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you shouldn't have said it, 
you meant it, but you knew you should have never let it get out of your heart. You, you probably, what you really meant to say is like, I did mean that, I shouldn't think that, I should give this to God, but it came out because that's what I'm feeling. Instead of saying, I never meant that, I just was, I was just being exaggerated. I was just, you know, in the heat of the moment, you know, you say things you really don't mean. No, in the heat of the moment, you say exactly what you mean. Some of you are getting into more trouble right now. But again, the whole motivation is restoration. And so the reason why I'm confronting you with all of this is because I want you guys to be restored. I want your marriages to be restored. I want your friendships to be restored. I want the relationships with your employees and your neighbors to be restored, your siblings to be restored. I, I think we overcomplicate it. I think we overcomplicate it. But if we can just respond out of the spirit instead of the flesh, we'll find ourselves in a much better place. Okay? So, again, Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as, as it is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So number one, right? Confront constructively, not combatively. Number two, we have to be quick to listen. We have to learn how to listen, right? The second element of effective communication is listening carefully. Only got six minutes. Okay. It's, it's unfortunate, but this skill isn't something that naturally comes to us. James 1.19 says this in 20. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, say everyone, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so you should only speak when your words will be more fruitful than your silence. Okay? That's when you should speak. Proverbs 21, 23, out of the message translation says, watch your words and hold your tongue. You'll save yourself a lot of grief. And all the men said, hold your tongue. Bite down on that nasty little rudder. This is the hardest thing to do in the midst of an argument, right? And we need to focus and, and, and really hear what the other person is saying because here's what Scripture says if we don't do it. It says in Proverbs 18.2, it says, Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Here's, here's where I've been out of shape in, in watching a, a, a couple disagree in front of me and then us trying to confront it in a way that's constructive with the motivation of restoration. Let me, let me just give all the men a really great insight. When you're silent, be careful of what your face says. Because sometimes your face is yelling back disagreement when she's venting her heartache. Like, what, what are the worst things? Husbands and wives, wives do it too, right? You're not exempt from this. But one of the worst things husbands do is in a counseling session, they're sitting there and they're listening to their wife and they may be listening to me and they're sitting there and they're doing this. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you're the biggest idiot in this room right now. That's what I'm thinking. Because she sees that. And how she interprets it is all based on the hurt that she's experiencing. 
That's how she interprets it. She interprets it like you don't care what I'm feeling. You don't care what I'm going through. And I feel you like you don't care like what I'm going to say either. And you just... And you think you're being silent. You're not being silent. You're yelling right now. You're yelling. And then the girls. Then the the girls are like. Just, why? You're saying a lot more with your silence than you are with what you're saying. And how is that constructive in relation? Is this okay? You guys, is everybody all right? So, so the, the, the writer of, of this proverb says, fools have no interest in understanding. You know what a fool is like? A fool is like saying, you know, what you say makes no sense and I just don't care. That's what a fool is like. A fool is like, like I- I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking regardless of what you feel. That, 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 that's a fool, right? So, so, and that's what we often do in fights. We're not trying to understand the other person. Really what we want is we want to be heard. Now, now I don't know how popular this was in California or in the East Coast, uh, on the West Coast, but, but I, in Brooklyn, as a kid, we used to play double dutch um, jump rope, right? It was, it, it, and it was just like, I guess, the regular singer jumping rope, right? But, but a conversation is a lot like this when it's an unhealthy conversation. And that is, like, the, the, the person is speaking, and it's like the rope's going. And, and you're just, you're just like, you're just... You're looking like, like, I'm going to jump. I'm waiting for my opportunity. You're just waiting for the opportunity. You're just waiting for the opportunity to jump in and let them have what's on your heart. Right? We do this. We're like, oh, there she goes. She can take a breath. She can take a breath. And you know what? You know, you jump in. And we do that. Right? You have zero intent in understanding. You're just looking for an opportunity to share your opinion. That's not listening. It's not listening. Listening has an intention of understanding. And you can't process all that while you're waiting to jump in and give them a piece of your mind. Right? So Roxanne and I learned how to do this early on in our relationship. I don't know what anybody else calls it. We call it copy and paste. We call it copy and paste in an argument. I don't know if anybody has ever done this, but like, let's say Roxanne comes home and she's like, honey... You put that monstrosity of a truck in our driveway and leave no room for anybody. We have to pull out, you know, groceries and, and children and, and, and 20 dogs. <laughs> you know, we have, and, and you just have to pull up and, you know, just come inside the house. And, 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 and just, you know, whatever, whatever. I'm just, that didn't really happen. I'm just saying it didn't happen. I'm just using it as an illustration, okay? And, and, and. The way that I copy and paste is like, okay, let me, let, me, let me get this. Let me understand this right. What you're saying is that I'm being insensitive 
because I put my truck in, and you guys are carrying a lot of stuff, and it's causing you a lot more work. And I just want to apologize for that because that's, that was not my intention. Um, but if that's what you're saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that's the end of the argument. Like, it doesn't go into dinner. It doesn't go into the series watching on the couch. It doesn't go into, into our bedroom, and it doesn't stay there until the morning. It's like, hey, is this what you meant by what you said? And if it's a yes, I'm sorry that that's the way you interpret it. It might not even have been what I meant when I said it. But if it was misinterpreted, then I'm sorry that the way that I presented it was misinterpreted. Okay? Let's just move on. Now, if you're just going to go and hammer the, the point home and tell me like 10 times the same thing, then we're going to have a little bit of a problem. Because after I say I'm sorry and I won't do it again, and I'm good, you good, I'm good, we're good, let's move on. And then later on in the day, if you get historical with me, I'm going to be the one that gets hysterical with you. You understand what I'm saying? Because once it's been dealt with, it's been dealt with. Come on, somebody. It's under the blood. It doesn't need to be brought back up. It doesn't need to be a wedge in our relationship. It doesn't have to come up in your text messages. It doesn't have to come up in your emojis. Stop sending me your little poop emojis because I don't feel like that right now. I feel like the little heart emojis for you, right? So even though you're upset and even though you're angry and even though he or she is kind of being you-know-what to you, you have to be gentle and kind using all the fruit of the Spirit that you can in that moment. Right? Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and come on, somebody. Self. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And so if you're going to have good communication with your spouse or with your friend or with your coworker or with your boss, I would... If, you, if you're in disagreement with whatever they're saying, what I would say to you is copy and paste. Okay, is this what you're saying? Am I understanding you correctly? So that way you can squash it right there and then. Instead of going, well, I think, you know what? I work longer than you. I do more than you do. My truck belongs in the driveway, and you guys can figure it out. You know, you know what I'm saying? That just, that's, just, that's, the, that's the flesh. That's not the spirit. Proverbs 31, 26. I love this about the women of of Proverbs 31, 26. When she speaks, her words are wise. And she gives instruction with yelling. No, that's not what it says. It says that she gives wise instruction and she gives it with kindness. So being quiet and patient while listening does several things. Number one, it demonstrates genuine humility. Remove pride out of the equation. Number two, it shows that you realize that you don't have all the answers sometimes. Number three, it tells the other person that you value his or her thoughts or opinions and perspectives. Romans 12, 10, Paul teaches, he says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Again, I'm going to keep hammering this scripture home. Ephesians 4, 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is the way that we're supposed to treat one another. Why is it so hard sometimes for us to treat people in our own house like this, but we're so good at treating everybody else like that? Why is it? 
because we become familiar to each other and we stop honoring one another above ourselves. Three common problems that hinder us from waiting while others talk. Number one is jumping to premature conclusions. How many have ever been guilty of that? Like I, like when somebody gives me their story, let me just say me and Roxanne. When she starts to share something, immediately my I'm going to fix this mode comes on, right? Because I want to fix it. I'm a fixer, right? You have a problem. I'm your solution. I'm going to fix it for you. I'm going to help you navigate this. And a lot of times what I've come to find out is that Roxanne doesn't want me to fix anything. She just wants to be heard. She just wants me to know what she thinks, how she views it, how it makes her feel, what she understands, and she just wants to know that her husband is validating her perspective. I don't have to come in and fix it. I don't have to come in and have the answer for it. Sometimes she just wants to vent or purge, and I'm the person because I'm her best friend. She's going to do that with me. But me, I like to fix things. I, I like to work things out. I like to communicate on how to be able to navigate this stuff. And a lot of times, she doesn't want me to fix it. And so a lot of times, when she starts talking about something, I'm like, listen, just you don't have to go any further. I got the answer. She's like, I don't need the answer. I just want you to listen. And, and then it's like, but then why tell me if I can't help you fix it? Well, because I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. Listen. Another thing that I found myself doing, and again, I'm just throwing myself out there, whenever I felt like I had the answer for whatever they were talking about, or she was talking about, or they were talking about, um, I just jump in and interrupt them mid-sentence. Let me finish. Right? While they're speaking, the human mind can think at least four times faster than a person can talk. And so a lot of times what we find ourselves doing is interrupting others mid-sentence or, or in the midst of them communicating why they did or how they saw, what they saw, and we cut them off and we don't really know the whole story. And so stop interrupting, don't jump to premature conclusions, listen, and learn to be comfortable with silence. Learn to be comfortable with just being silent. After carefully listening, agree and acknowledge that what you know is true and you're going to show the points of disagreement. But again, it's going to be for restoration, not for separation. Do you hear that? A lot of times, let me, let me just say this. There are a lot of times that Roxanne and I will get into an argument. And in my flesh, my flesh wants to be right. It wants to be right. In fact, like I think, a lot of times it is right. And I think a lot of times she is wrong. And I could say that because she's not here. You know, nine out of ten men believe that their wives are usually right. The tenth one could not be found. He was the only one that, that thought that, no, they're not always right. Anyways. Um. Quickly, number three, number three. And I'm going to have the worship team come up because I'm going to bring this so close real quick. Six rules of engagement. 
Number one, when you're in an argument, never call each other any bad names. And my kids have never heard me cuss Roxanne out. Roxanne has never been labeled a negative name by me. That's my queen. That's my better half. We're one. Why am I going to speak cursing over my own spouse? Right? Like, so never, never speak negative or call each other names. Unless it's like a pet name, like Honey Boo Boo or, or Thor or Pokemon. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever floats your boat. But don't, don't call each other any negative bad names. Number two, never raise your voice. The moment that you've raised your voice in an argument, you've already lost. Never raise your voice. If she's raising her voice or he's raising your voice, use your soft voice. Use your soft voice. You might be able to calm things down. You raise your voice, you lose. Nothing good, nothing good will ever come from yelling at each other. Come on. Breathe. Sing a song, pray, speak in tongues, do whatever you have to do. Just don't raise your voice. Number three, you've heard me say it, I'll say it again. Don't get historical. Stop being historical with your spouse. You know, back in 1984, we were at Florentine Gardens together. And you left me to go to the Red Onion, and I never forgave you for it. Stop getting historical with your spouse. Bringing up the past does nothing to benefit your future. Zero. Number four, quickly. Never say you never or you always. Hyperbole speaking isn't good for your relationship. You always do this. You never do that. It's probably inaccurate. But never ever ever, ever say you never. Number five, quickly, never threaten each other with divorce. Never, ever threaten each other with divorce. If the tank is running on empty, then get it filled back up and go to the source of love who is Jesus Christ. But never, ever throw the white towel and say, I'm done with you. I want a divorce. Never, never, ever do that. Trust me when I say that it's not so far gone that God can't resurrect it and heal it and restore it. God allows us to do that because of the hardness of our hearts. He allows us to do it because of the hardness of our house. And yet God says, I'm married to the backslider. You know who the backslider is? The backslider is the one that decided to prostitute his relationship with God and, and give his heart to something else. And yet God says, I won't leave you or forsake you. I'm married to the backslider. God is into restoration of marriages and relationships. So don't ever, ever, ever use or threaten with divorce. It's uncalled for, it's immature, and it's a low blow. Remember that you and I are couples that never give up on each other. We're not going to fight against each other. We're going to fight for one another in Christ Jesus. And six, lastly, my sixth point, finally, very, very important, one of my favorites. When you're in a fight, never, ever 
never ever quote your pastor ever don't you ever put me into one of your conversations the devil is a liar you got yourself into that mess you're gonna get yourself out of that mess don't be like well I talked to Pastor Eddie and he said that you need to submit you are a liar Don't ever throw your pastors under the bus. Just need to, to throw that in for the pastoral team. Right? Well, I talked to Pastor Mitch, and he said that you're just carnal. You're just in the flesh. <laughs> you just need to start living in the spirit. Don't, don't use us. You should be like, I know what the Bible says. I, I shouldn't treat you harsh, harshly. I'm sorry, honey. I repent. I love you. Right? Get yourself out of it. Lastly. What we're going to do together with the help of God is that we're going to learn how to, hang, how to handle our anger righteously. Righteously. Where it's right standing with God. You know what the Bible says? It's okay to be angry. Just don't sin. Just don't sin while you're angry. Hanger. Hanger. Some of you are hangry right now. <laughs> this is so important. Jesus, James said everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. There are some things that you've just got to let learn to let go. And we have that saying, right? Let go and let God. Right? So I said to you earlier, I don't always have to be right. In fact, there are a lot of times that I believe that I'm not wrong, that I'm actually right. But what I want is peace in my family. So for the sake of peace and unity, I'm going to ask my spouse to forgive me, even though she may be at fault. Or even though I may be at fault, she may come to me and go, honey, for whatever reason, we've allowed this to go this far. I'm sorry. I don't want this to continue. And guess what? Forgiveness kicks Satan out of your relationship in that moment. And what ends up happening, then you win. And then what God does is he starts to bring revelation to your misunderstanding. And then next thing you know, what I hear and what she hears is, you know what, honey? You were right. I was wrong. The way that I viewed it, the way that I interpreted it, it was inaccurate. I just want to say that I'm sorry. But it's done in a way that brings unity as opposed to discord. We have a saying, let go and let God. Look at somebody tell them, let go and let God. Because sometimes, if we're just being honest, sometimes our flesh is so fired up, we, we can't confront constructively. And sometimes we are going to need a third party to come in and bring wisdom and understanding and clarity Sometimes we are going to need to step away from this discussion and not come back to it until we're ready to have the hard talk so that we're not just sweeping things into the carpet, but we're getting healing and restoration from the conversation that we're having because we're using salt, light, grace, mercy, and all the fruit of the Spirit and everything that, that Paul writes that love is. So we're going to let go and let God. Ephesians says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on you while you're still angry and don't grieve or I'm sorry don't give the devil a foothold I feel like there are so many relationships in this room right now that have allowed the enemy to come in and grab a foot and what he does is when he grabs your foot he does not allow you to go on this journey with your friend he doesn't allow you to go on this journey with your church he doesn't allow you to go on this journey with your pastors or your leaders or with your spouse why because as long as the enemy's got a foothold he's going to hold on and he's going to keep pulling back and back and back and so every time you want to move forward 
You've given the enemy a foothold by holding on to unforgiveness. You've given the enemy a foothold by holding on to, uh, on to bitterness. You've given the enemy a foothold because your perception or your inter interpretation of things may be inaccurate and you're siding with the enemy more than you are with God. And we've given him a foothold. And this is what Paul's saying to the church in Ephesus. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't be angry to such a degree that it causes you to sin. The message translation puts it this way. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. But don't use your anger to fuel or as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of control or foothold in your life. I don't know about you. But Roxanne and I have, have had these, these times, specifically when she was going through that whole transition in her, in her menopause, where I didn't know how to talk to her. Like everything that I would say wasn't good enough. However I, came, I approached it was just horrible. And, and again, I still didn't know what was going on. So of course, that whole thing happened where I was like, I don't, I don't even know who you are. Like, what did you do with my wife? And she was like, Google it. And I'm like, Google it? Google what? I don't, I don't understand. And then she started to break it all down. And then I started to understand. And then the woman that I fell in love with, the woman that, that I spent my last 20, because this is when it happened in our early 40s, last 20-something years building communication with, relationship with, understanding with, her personality changed. The way, that, the way that she was with me changed. And it wasn't her fault. It was this chemical thing that happened in her body because of the wicked decision Eve made, you know, in the Garden of Eden so long ago. But she was going through it. And as her husband, I couldn't be just like, well, forget you then. I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. I wasn't going to do that. I needed to listen with the intention of understanding so that I can learn how to communicate differently in order that we can live in harmony as one in Christ Jesus. And what ended up happening, it took us some time, but we got there. It took some time on relearning how to talk. And so now, or back then when she was going through that whole transition in her menopause, like, like I didn't know this, but she would feel it come upon her, right? Like a legion of demons. Like it would just... I'd be sitting and we'd just be talking and all of a sudden she'd look at me, she goes, it's here. You know, and I'm like, Okorobobosata. <laughs> no. I knew now, now I know that I have to put my arm around her and bring affirmation to her and go, honey, I'm here. We're going to get this thing through, through this thing together. You're not alone in this. I understand what you're going through now. Let me help you. How can I help? And you know what? The more I did that, the less and less she manifested. No, the less and less that happened. See, you should have came to church today. I'm just kidding, man. So in closing, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ Jesus has forgiven you.